This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. Thank you so much for coming. It's really great to be here at UCSB. And thank you to Dave Novak and Raquel Pacheco for organizing this event uh, with me. My name's Alexandra Lipman. I'm a visiting assistant professor at Pomona College, and I'm an anthropologist and a DJ. <laughs> and uh, it's really great to be talking with these filmmakers here uh, about these incredible films. Uh, on my left is Alvaro Parra, who is a, a filmmaker and a DJ based in Los Angeles. Uh, he's made several documentary films, and this is actually the first of a series of short films that he's working on, on Cumbia Sonidera, kind of in different contexts and in different places. And Joyce Garcia is a filmmaker and photographer from, originally from Veracruz, Mexico, but joining us from Mexico City. And Yo No Soy Guapo is her debut documentary film. Um, it came out in 2018. It's been in various festivals in Mexico. And it's great to be here in this theater at uh, UCSB. My first question is sort of very basic, but uh, both of you have these really compelling protagonists in your film, and I wanted to hear a little bit more about how you first met them and how you connected with them. Uh, you know, in your film, you look at these two sonideros who are at really kind of different stages in their careers, um, and uh, Tony Fantasma, who is a famous sonidero in, in Los Angeles, you always you look at, if you're driving through LA, you can kind of see his name frequently on the posters. Um, and then, you know, Sonido Profeta, who before talking to you and seeing your film, I hadn't heard of him. He's, you know, the, the youngster who's getting started in Gardena. And then Joyce in your film, you focus on Lupe and uh, El Duende. So I wanted to hear more about how you first connected with these uh, two people and how they kind of became the protagonists of your films. <laughs> sure, you can start. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, I met Lupita in in a house, <laughs> in somebody's house. You know, they make a. I, I reached to El Proyecto Sonidero, which is a, a, which is a project who is uh, gathering uh, anthropologists, uh, visual artists, filmmakers, photographers. It's a really old project like me, like this, like this documentary. Um, and the, the anthropologist who is in charge, uh, Mariana Delgado, she introduced me to Lupita La Cigarrita because... For the for the main sonidero culture, uh, the the sound system is is very mainly you know it's a culture like very there are a f there was there wasn't like a few m m more like uh, they uh, they weren't recognized the women weren't recognized but they were there already no but I met Lupita about uh, for uh, Mariana Delgado. And then I met Duende in a, 
in a showing uh, was sh they were showing like a documentary another documentary in Casa Vecina which was a place in in downtown in Mexico City and he he played there and I just only like came close to him I ha I have heard about him but I have I haven't met him so we connect right right away and with Lupita, you can see you can see her. He's like a she's like a force. She's <laughs> like a force of nature. So, <laughs> so we connect also immediately. She can connect uh, almost with every people. So yeah, that was that was. Yeah. Cool. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Alexandra, and thank you, Dave. Really appreciate this opportunity. Um, as far as Sonido Fantasma and Sonido Profeta, so Sonido Fantasma is definitely one of the veterans of Los Angeles. And when I started research, the research phase of this documentary, uh, that was simply showing up to the two or three main clubs in LA, which are in the film Salon Lazaros, Leonardo's in Huntington Park. Uh, Salon Lazaros is right in downtown LA. And Tony was playing at Salon Lazaro's all the time, and so I would just show up, and I wanted to, I wanted to like the sonideros that I was going to uh, feature. I'm, I'm a DJ, and it was important for me to, to like their style. So I just would buy a beer, show up, sit down, and listen to all of these sonideros. I really liked Fantasma's style. I thought he was extremely charismatic. He is, I think, extremely charismatic. And then with uh, Sonido Profeta, Abimael, the youngster... Um, we, were, we were kind of entering pre-pandemic a very uh, cybernetic stage of sonidero culture in which a lot of the youngsters or the new upcoming sonideros who couldn't get a gig at a club because they didn't have a name to them yet were just live streaming. And so when I first saw Sonido Profeta on, on a live stream, I, I thought, oh, who's this 30-year-old with such a man's voice, right? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, he's really got a baby face, right, this, this person. And, uh, and then I contacted him on Facebook and, and said, hey, I'd like to meet you. I'm working on this documentary project. And he said, yeah, why don't you come over to my house? You can meet my crew. Uh, his crew was his father, his older brothers. <laughs> and we sat down at the dining table and we had a meeting about like what the project was about and he was 17 at the time. He was a junior in high school when, when this conversation took place. So it was important for me to have the polarity of the veteran and the youngster, and I found that with these two characters. Um, that's great. I, I Especially uh, for both of the films, what strikes me is, I mean, obviously they're about Cubia Sonidera, and you're kind of examining it in two important places for Mexico City and Los Angeles. Um, but I'm also, you know, in, in both of the films, I'm really struck by how Cumbia Sonidera uh, is really a transnational music. Mm. You know, it's originally from Colombia, but really all over, you know, but even before Colombia, you know, there are connections to, you know, African music and indigenous music and European music through the accordions um, and instruments. But how, how do you see in, in your film, um, how did you kind of deal with uh, showing cumbia as this transnational music and also this music where place 
is really important. You know, people in their saludos are shouting out the names of particular cities um, or, you know, sending messages to their, you know, friends elsewhere. Um, yeah, I'm just interested to hear a little bit more about Cumbia as this kind of transnational media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that uh, with migration, you know, people bring their customs, their culture, and I think in the Sonidero world, this is very evident um, with the Mexican migration in, in Los Angeles, the 80s are considered a time of Mexico City-based sonideros being the dominant ones in Los Angeles, and I, I would say in, in New York as well. And then in the 90s and the 2000s, you see large waves of people from Puebla coming to Los Angeles and going to New York. Maybe you, some of you have heard the terminology Puebla-York, right? Because there are now more poblanos in New York than there are people from the Caribbean. And that's the first time that's ever happened in the migrational history of New York. So you have this huge influx of poblanos, people from Puebla, coming to L.A., coming to New York. Puebla, as you see uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the doc, is one of the most active scenes. It's, it's, they have an industry behind sonidero culture. The saludo, the saludo, the shout-out, becomes an internet connection for family who's in New York, family who's in Puebla, family who's all over the United States, working somewhere far away from their home, right? But in this way, I think it's very beautiful that this facet of cumbia culture um, keeps families together or at least you know, gives them a momentary bond with uh, the music that they've grown up with. And, and I, I find that really fascinating about the saludo and technology cumbia, this triumvirate of, uh, of, of facets of cumbia culture. So I, I think especially for sonideros over here, you have messages going back and forth. Right, and I think that it's really fascinating how that happens uh, in Colombia culture. And it, even before the internet, it happened with video cassettes, it happened with DVDs, it happened with cassettes, and these saludos were being recorded in different media. Now the internet, digital media, has uh, made that instantaneous. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, about how Colombia is a kind of transnational music and how do you represent that in your film? And for what I see for, for, for Yo No Soy Guapo is more than, uh, you have moments where uh, El Duende is showing his, his record collection and a lot of them are coming, you know, their music that's recorded in Colombia or other, you know, Cuba, at one point in the baile, I can't remember who, but somebody says, oh, or the sonidero Mm -hmm. says, oh, we're in Matanzas, Cuba. So everyone is kind of imagining being sometimes in different places through the music, um, Mm -hmm. even with the hats that they wear that are very, you know, traditional from um, this, like, style of hat, Weltial, from Colombia Mm -hmm. um, that they use. So, yeah. And feel free to speak in Spanish or English and we can translate. Sí, gracias. Lo voy a hacer en español porque... Este, eh, bueno, por un lado, es justo lo que dijo Álvaro, que el sonidero era un realidad también nació como un medio de comunicación, ¿no? Justo entre la banda migrante México-Estados Unidos, sobre todo en esa conexión México-Estados Unidos, 
porque antes pues no existían los celulares, la tecnología, ¿no? O sea, una carta en cuánto tiempo te podía llegar, no sé si es que alguien mandaba cartas en algún momento. Entonces justo eh, ese recordar a alguien, ese eh, mandar saludo, ese, esa canción que te podían dedicar, servía como un puente de comunicación pues para mantener a los tuyos cerca, ¿no? Eh, y además de esto, creo que la cumbia, o sea, además de ser un puente eh, comunicativo, eh, también la cumbia se instauró en el gusto popular eh, mucho gracias debido al cine, al cine la, de la época de oro mexicano, en, cuan, en cuanto estaban las orquestas, las grandes orquestas de Pérez Prado, ¿no? las orquestas de Cuba, la matancera, ¿no? que muchas veces eran parte de, de las películas, eh, el público mexicano consumía muchísimo cine, cosa que ahora no pasa tanto, ¿no? Eh, y que eso también forjó un público, ¿no? Y formó una cultura eh, del baile, eh, de las grandes orquestas, de los salones de baile, que no existía, eh, digamos, antes de esta como masificación de la música tropical en Latinoamérica. Y los sonideros fueron... No sé si alguien va a traducir en algún momento. Pero... Sí, ¿quieres que traduzca? Cuando quieres. Porque, eh... ¿Podemos pausar? ¿Lo, regre... ¿Lo podemos regresar? Yeah. Eh... ¿Lo vas a...? Uh, sí, a ver, a ver, a ver. A ver. Um, yeah, so, so Joyce uh, says that it's, it's fair what Álvaro said about um, cumbia being a a communication uh, method, right? An early communication method and sending messages. And that, uh, of course, that uh, it, it, is, it is preceded by you know, older forms of communication of keeping in touch with your loved ones. However, that um, a lot of, uh, in, the trans in, Mex in the Mexico City context, the, the transnationalism can also be viewed through cinema, in which a lot of Mexicans would, uh, would consume you know, golden, uh, Mexican golden age cinema in which there was a lot of influence from Cuba uh, and a lot of, in, and you would see a lot of the big bands and the orquestas um, from Cuba and, and this style and this, these rhythms were becoming part of Mexican culture, even though they were not native to Mexican culture, right? There was a huge Cuban influ influence and... Hasta ahí llegué. Sí, hasta ahí, hasta ahí dije. Eh, y claro, entonces el sonidero es muy responsable eh, en cierta medida, en gran medida, eh, de instaurar también ese gusto por la música tropical, porque ellos eran quienes viajaban ¿no? a Colombia, a Puerto Rico, a Venezuela... Eh, a Perú, a Bolivia, a Cuba, para traer música que no existía en las estaciones de radio, ¿no? que es lo que hablan al principio Lupita, ¿no? eh, los sonideros eran quienes llevaban eh, música especial que nadie más eh, tenía, y además de interpretarla en, en, los, en las radios, la interpretaban en la calle, y pues qué mejor medio de difusión que la calle, pues no, es justo... Ellos son en gran medida responsables de que eh, la cumbia, y no solo la cumbia, la guaracha, la salsa, el guaguancó, el montuno y un montón de diferentes estilos de cumbia se escuchen en, eh, no solo en Ciudad de México, sino en todo el país y, y también pues, aquí en Estados Unidos. Y mm -hmm. so the sonidero uh, becomes a figure that uh, begins to travel to other countries to buy vinyl records in Colombia, Bolivia, uh, Perú, Venezuela, Cuba, 
many Puerto Rico, many of these countries, bringing these records back, and the sonidero becomes this special figure that has this music that no one else has. And radio programs begin to form around these, these records and this music, and not only in Mexico City, but all of the Republic, all of this music begins to sound, not just the cumbia rhythm, but huahuanco, montuno, Salsa. Salsa, sí, guaracha. Yeah, it was many rhythms, right? It was, eran muchos ritmos, and so the sonidero becomes this, uh, this very special figure in, in the culture. And of course, um, most importantly, the sonidero has uh, its most significant diffusion in the street party. And so this, what better place than the street party to share this music with, uh, with your neighborhood? And it's, it's pretty amazing to me how... You know, in both of the films, uh, people show how the baile kind of transforms and, and creates this public space. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why uh, they were kind of running up against the state and police trying to shut it down. But I'm interested in how the, the sound systems kind of create a, a space um, in... Mexico City or in Los Angeles where people can connect beyond their own, you know, city or their own kind of borders in their country um, and how, you know, how sound is important for that. Yeah, I think, I'm going to try it, okay. Um, <laughs> I think sonideros make, make something out of nothing. You know, they they create worlds like universes, like like I don't know. In in anthropology, I think. Well, I'm, I am not an anthropologist, but I know uh, Malinowski, who was talking about imponderabilia, which is a term for for referring to some something or the things that cannot be put in in some object object. No, you cannot. You cannot touch it. You cannot. Uh, you cannot explain it. You cannot. I don't know. Like grab it. You can only feel it. So I think the sonidero makes that because they gather people, bodies. You know. You, I. I cannot talk to you about a sonidero if you haven't been there. You know. A lot of people uh, think like, no, it's, there are dangerous places. You know and. There's like gangs and they're going to rob you and they, I don't know. No. It's a lot of discrimination against them. But if you haven't been there, you, you don't know what it is like to be there, you know, with the, with, with the music. And not only, not only know the music, but heard it in the, in the space and with those, those like wild <laughs> wild sound you know like everything is distorted and doesn't doesn't it's, it's not like fine like no es fino no, no es fancy es como raw and and that creates not only that it's like a, the whole things together you know you can see your neighbor you can see someone you haven't seen in a long time you can as lupita says you can like uh, look at to somebody and get in love and get some kisses behind the, the <laughs> behind the sound system you know and you can you can make your own your own community in there 
And also, it's like a, it's the moment of most freedom for the for the ghetto, you know, because it's it's really hard to 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 pay money to go to a dance club or go to to hear some artist or do anything. And if you have it like <laughs> down, <laughs> like saliendo de tu puerta, <laughs> like right there. Uh, because you cannot run from it, <laughs> it's right there. So it's better, you know, because it's 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 for you. It's created by you, by your community, by I don't know, like your your crew, your your friends. So I think um, they have made um, a whole culture, which is really really big. It's amazing how big it is. From nothing, you know, like from the, from this, no, from the passion, from, uh, from the necessity, the the urge, the, the urge will be, la urgencia de, un lugar para estar juntos y para compartir música. Also, uh, for Joyce and Alvaro, I was super struck in Yo No Soy Guapo watching it, and you know, it seemed like the most kind of ethnographic kind of film uh, with the, your attention to small details or, you know, as you said, the imponderabilia you know, of like everyday sonidero life. Um, and I loved how also at certain points you hear Lupita you know, talking to you mm. in the film. You hear her say, mm. Joyce, and you're very much a part of it. And at times she almost seems like she's the one, you know, directing the action or telling you, like, look over here, meet she this was. person. <laughs> We're going to go do this. And I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that kind of process um, mm. of, I don't know if it's collaboration or how would you describe that, you know, your process of, of directing... Um, or maybe the words it's not even directing, but yes. of, of making this film. Mm -hmm. They were, yeah, yes, they were like really, really close to the process. I wasn't able to do anything without them because, yeah, I wasn't. So, yeah, we talk about, we, I don't know, we, I see, I saw them a lot, a lot. Uh, not only for recording, as to eat, as for get uh, get some I don't know like some uh, museum, you know. We we were always hanging out, or going to some other places, going to the basilica, to the pil pil pilgrims. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so we make um, before the movie we make a friendship. So yeah, that's. That's how should be done. Not all, not always. You have like the time to do it because if you are in a job, you have to like go, go, go. We have one day to do it, to shoot it, and that's it. But in this, in these processes, Alvaro was also like that. His process, uh, yeah. You, you took a while into in to make the the bonds with the people, so. For example, for Tepito, uh, the idea, and I was told to Lupita, what do you think if, you, if we go to, to a um, recorrido for your, for your 
neighborhood. Uh, you show me your uh, your tu casa eh, familiar, tu casa de la infancia. Um, and yeah, we go to Tepito, and she says like, "What do you think if we go to look for la socia?" Elige a huevo, vamos. Sí. <laughs> wow, really? Sí, 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 sí. So we we were always like talking because we have we have talked about la socia, but there wasn't like there it wasn't real, you know. It was like a legend, like a myth. So that's, that was Lupita's idea, no? Mm. So like changing the, <laughs> changing my my schedule to 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 do that research, and was the best decision, you know. And I always talk to them about how should we do this? What do you think? Are you, do you feel comfortable with this? Lupita never let me into her house, for for example. And I was telling uh, telling her like. Please, I want to see your records. I want to see your, your your house. I don't know, like the no say the regular kind of stuff, you know. And she never let me know. But that is that is great because she can have her own like privacy, you know. She doesn't have to do whatever I say. On the contrary, I have to do whatever she says. <laughs> yeah, of course, because you, uh, we were talking about serving, you know, like, ser like, yeah, you have your idea and you, yeah, you have like an hypothesis, like a thesis to prove, but you, I don't know, you don't, you don't know nothing. You, <laughs> they know, <laughs> they really know, you know, so it would be stupid if I don't do whatever they want because they are they are the experts they are the 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 people who's been 20 years doing this no you know i'm an an outsider no so i have to i have to learn from them and also uh, if i'm if i am being me and they are being them so we can we can do something together not me not me as a director you know so that was a really rico <laughs> like a really rich um, way to work because yeah they they were like really involved in the in the whole process you know like let's let's do it or not or what do you think or no esta persona me cae mal no vaya <laughs> entonces was was like that yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, my process was uh, also it's what you said about Lupita that she didn't want you to film in her house. Mm -hmm. So Sonido Fantasma never let me into his house, uh, and he refused for me to to ever visit him in his home. And I was really bothered by that situation. <laughs> I, I really wanted to go to his house and just shoot him having dinner, you know, and doing nothing, folding clothes, whatever, like. <laughs> I thought that this was going to be the authentic, uh, real life, mm -hmm. you know, a fantasma. Mm -hmm. And he never let me into his home. And Profeta was the opposite. Mm -hmm. Profeta was like, come, have dinner with us and get to know us. You want to go to a party? We're going, we're going to DJing a baptism. You should come to this baptism. And, <laughs> you know, we've got a party here. We've got a party over there. I was invited everywhere, right? So I had very different um, kind of experiences with them. And um, if, if any of you may recall or noticed, it, for Fantasma's interview, 
I put these really colorful grids over his interview, right? Only on his interview, not on Profeta's interview. And the reason was because he wouldn't allow me to shoot an interview with him at a party, and he wouldn't allow me to shoot an interview with him at his house. So we had to shoot in this really boring conference room at USC. <laughs> I, uh, I went to school there, so they let me have a, a conference room to shoot in. And we took him to this conference room, and he gave this wonderful interview. But I hated the... The, the office conference room space, the look of it. So I was like, okay, I got to do something about this. So I, I decided to put that weird, colorful, <laughs> n- you know, neon blurry frames around him just to be like, well, this is kind of like Sonidero aesthetic, so I'm going to do this to make it something like Fantasma. But he was very distant. He was very distant. Even though he's a very charismatic person, like he was, he had a lot of distance, yeah, from, mm-hmm. from me. Um, this is more of a comment instead of a question, but if you want to speak more about it. I was struck in uh, especially your film, Alvaro, like how you are using some of these Sonidero aesthetics, mm. you know, with the, with the chats or with the, um, the messages and the saludos kind of coming on the screen and how it's really this like palimpsest going on, mm. um, which reminded me of how Sonideros, when they're talking on top of songs, um, doing the saludos, they're really kind of layering them like very elaborately sometimes in yeah. ways that people who are not familiar with cumbia, like it's very strange for them or even old, more veteran uh, cumbia fans, they really don't like how the saludos kind of interrupt the music. Um, But yeah, I was just wondering if that was in reference to the kind of aesthetics of uh, cumbia, sonidera culture in L.A. Yeah. For me, um, rhythm is really important, right? Mm. The visual rhythm, the sonic rhythm of the film is really, really important. I feel like I don't really stay on anybody for too long. We keep moving around, jumping around from one place to another, one character to another. And um, one of the things that, that I found really fascinating attending you know, more and more Sonidero dances was that even though the, the Sonidero is constantly bringing the fader down and speaking over the track, the dance floor never loses a beat, right? They stay on rhythm, they're just hooked in. And... Um, uh, the reason that I'm interested in Sonidero culture to begin with is because of my own background as a DJ in electronic music, where you're mixing, right, and crossfading between things and all the time. And so I found that really fascinating. Um, I'll just say one really interesting thing about a Sonidero party, if you guys have never been, that as a DJ um, really shocked me. So Sonidero will play a song, everybody will dance. Uh, this is at a club in L.A., because I think the Mexico City context is really, really different. So this is just the L.A. context, right, per se. They're doing the song. They're doing their saludos. Everybody's dancing. The dance floor could have 100 people on it. The song is over. Everybody leaves the dance floor. No, Mexico is Yeah, same. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they play like a really, you know, different type different, of song, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, techno like, beat techno. or, you know, yeah. Techno, and I, as a DJ, I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody leaves the dance floor. And then they ramp up another cumbia song and they get on it, everybody comes back to dance floor. I was shocked, right, when I saw this. Like, this is such a different, very uniquely, I will say, Mexican style of, like, DJing, right? And so I wanted to, you know, sometimes I've heard from people like, well, where are you in the movie? Where's your voice? Like, why isn't your voice in the movie? And I'm like, I'm in the edits. Like, that's, hmm. that's my voice, you know, because I'm fascinated by the culture and the aesthetic the technology of it, and I wanted to try to like present that in, in a visual way. 
in both of your both of your films there are moments when kind of uh, gender and sexuality come up, and uh, I was interested in you know for for you Joyce uh, how how what was the experience of uh, Lupita and what kind of seemed to be the experience of female sonideros or why do you think they've been kind of forgotten or written out of the history? Um, and then it was also striking to see how in Bailes, you know, you see uh, people who are, you know, you might imagine, oh, this is a working class Mexican barrio. It will probably be very macho, but on the, on the, by kind of contrast, you often see people who are queer or trans on the dance floor and like getting a lot of notice and respect as dancers or seeming to get respect. And then also um, for your film, Alvaro, uh, when uh, the, the kind of um, the big balls voice mm. um, that <laughs> uh, the, the young Sonidero mentions is this kind of like the voice of the Sonidero is this like emblem of masculinity. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about uh, about how you were approaching those topics. Well, the the the, the woman in Sonidero has been repressed and oppressed because it, it, we have been <laughs> the the whole history. So it's just a reflection of of a culture, of a history of, of oppression. Uh, but the women have always been there. Uh, we recently met. Uh, Las Japonesitas. Well, we yeah. have met uh, a lot of a lot of women in the in the process of the in investigation. We met a lot of stories where women were like the collectors, you know, like the um, the organi organizers. Recently, we met uh, uh, the wife of Pluma Cumbiamberos was a videographer for uh, in the 80s and 90s uh, from a lot of jigs in, in here in Mexico City. So they, um, they organize uh, exhibitions, you know, uh, they talk about it, they research, they gather documents, they, they make a lot of things, but uh, finally... Uh, they are like recibiendo un lugar o no recibiendo más bien mereciéndose o own it no you know like own it bitch el, el lugar que se merecen entonces el que el que siempre han tenido no o el que siempre han merecido eh, entonces mm, eh, with the trans and this is uh, this might be a little like <laughs> um, how do you say it like um, a little shocking but I think uh, the the queer and the trans have been uh, accepted also because of the machismo it's, it is because I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. It's a, it's a place of freedom in in the bailes, but outside the bailes, it's it's the same. Like you know, it's like the same the same systems keeps existing 
existent. And so I think in the bailes uh, are the yeah they have won the place for being what you whatever you want to be. You know if you whatever you can be it. You can be you can be naked. You can be you know you can do anything because it's a place of freedom. And the trans community and the queer community are very well respected in the dances. Hopefully, that could be like translated to the to the real in the everyday life. But I don't know. No sé cómo ha sido esa historia de cómo el el mundo queer es tan respetado. But I think it has to be with the rebellious, you know, like the the fears, like the um, like owning a place, owning a place in the world, you know, because Sonidero uh, is like that. It's, it's like a, a, a space of freedom. But, yeah. <laughs> the big ball's voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, in, in, in this film, um, I really focused on the two sonideros and there are so many things that I love about your film and that I'm envious about your film that you the way and the style that you uh, communicate with your subjects in your film and with the the dancers right the people in the mercado and I feel like my film is like has like a a, a tunnel vision with the these two sonideros right just just these two stories and so the voice and the way that they used their voice was very important to me. Um, and so it was interesting to see how the voice was is modulated, is synthesized in a way to either sound more robotic or sound more manly or sound strange, you know. And Abimael, as you saw in that little clip, where he, uh, he's 13 years old, right? He's 13 years old in this world of older men. Um, but as he tells it, you know, none of his brothers were good on the microphone, so he decided to take the microphone. <laughs> uh, and take the microphone he did, right? And so um, it, is a, it is a very um, male-dominated world as well in Los Angeles in the Sonidero culture. I think DJ culture, you know, is mm. very male-dominated. Sonidero culture is no exception. And... In Los Angeles, there is also a small collective of uh, women sonideras that, that are active in the scene, but they have an uphill battle, right? They have an uphill battle, and and so it was it was very fascinating to see events where maybe there was some women sonideras that were um, that were on the bill, and are it's slowly starting to be more of a of a common. Um, occurrence in Los Angeles Sonidero culture. But uh, this booming voice, right, this booming robotic uh, masculine voice, right, I think Sonidero culture is a lot about, uh, about how loud you are and how powerful you are and the best technology. There's a, there's a fetishism with uh, technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like a very strong fetishism with technology and that means modulating your voice. Yeah. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.